it's time for our kids to leave us for kids' church with their leaders. So thank you, leaders and kids. Final words from Ephesians chapter 6, verses 21 to 24, and this is part 30. Well, here we are. We finally arrived at the end of our series in the letter of the Apostle Paul to the church in Ephesus. We have covered uh, six chapters in 30 sermons. And when you think about it, in most Bibles, Ephesians is just four pages long. And you're probably thinking, how can you get so much stuff out of there? And then I'm reminded that someone like Martin Lloyd-Jones spent like uh, more than 100 sermons on these six chapters. I've managed to do it in 30. So, not too bad. Um, and yet so much, this is because so much is, is packed in. What riches are contained within this short book? They're packed with golden spiritual nuggets. Some of them, these nuggets are sitting at the surface. Some of them you have to scrape and some of them you have to dig a little deeper. You take your time, you slow down, you reflect and ponder just how much nourishment for the soul God has for us in his word. But let's remind ourselves that this book is an epistle. An epistle is a letter. A letter that Paul sent to the church in Ephesus, a very pagan city. In letters, there are usually greetings at the beginning and at the end. There are individuals that are named and personally known to the writer. What's interesting here is that the Apostle Paul doesn't drop too many names to the Ephesians as he does, for example, to the Colossians or to the Romans. And one reason is perhaps that he is fully expecting this letter to have a, a, a wider circulation than just be restricted to the church in Ephesus. The fact that it has providentially reached our hands is living proof of that. It has had wide circulation for 2,000 years. And they are not just... These final words are, are more than just greetings, but they are actually blessings upon his readers as well. So what are the things that he wanted to cover in these final words of this letter? First of all, the co-workers, verse, the first part of verse 21. Tychicus, the dear brother and faithful servant in the Lord. This letter, along with the letter to the Colossians and the letter to Philemon, were going to be hand-delivered by at least two men, Tychicus and Onesimus. Uh, we should be grateful for these two men because they are up these letters were personally delivered from Paul who wrote the letter but they had to be delivered to Ephesus. Paul was in prison in Rome. So they were going to be delivered to Ephesus and also to Colossians, to the church in Colossae. And these people who were carrying it, maybe they did, maybe they did not know just 
what wonderful treasure they were carrying in their hands. This is worth much more than gold or any, any treasure that they could have carried. How momentous throughout history this letter would prove to be. Because Ephesus, uh, the letter to the Ephesians, is like a mini letter to the Romans. And we know what a, what a wonderful treatise Romans is. So this is Romans in, 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 in a succinct form. So we should be eternally grateful for their courage and faithful obedience as many of these men would die for the cause. They were martyrs for the gospel. Now Tychicus was, was one of a, of a band of young men who accompanied Paul on, on much of his ministry. If he had to do it all himself, if the apostle had to do all of it himself, it would have, the gospel would have taken a lot longer to expand throughout the empire. There were no seminaries in those days. There was no online learning. So training was done in the most efficient way of all. It was on-the-job training. And this is what Jesus did with the 12 disciples and then the, the wider 70, of course. And then when Jesus left, he left the 12 disciples to carry on, 11 and then 12 again, to carry on the ministry for which he taught them for about three and a half years. And Paul took these people along on journeys and he taught them on the ship, on the travels, where they were staying and even when he was in prison, he continued to teach. By life, by word, by example, he was instructing them on how they are to face the challenging situations. They could see if their teacher was jailed, guess what was going to happen to them? If their teacher was expecting a trial and quite possibly and eventually he would have his head chopped off, guess what's going to happen to the, to the student, to the disciple? So Tychicus was from Asia, and, uh, which is modern-day Turkey, and uh, quite possibly Tychicus was a native from Ephesus himself. So during Paul's second and final imprisonment in Rome, he again sent Tychicus to look after the Ephesian church and to take uh, Timothy's place in, in that city. So he was uh, originally, how he started out, he was part of a delegation carefully chosen by the churches of Macedonia to accompany the Apostle Paul when he took, when the Apostle Paul took to Jerusalem the gifts that were collected for the, the church in, in, in Jerusalem that was really struggling. It was going through, through a drought and a poverty. So the, the, the churches gathered a, a bit of money and it was transported, it was, it was carried to the people in Jerusalem. And one of those who took the money to Jerusalem was, was Tychicus. And he calls Tychicus a dear brother and a faithful servant in the Lord. So when he calls him a dear brother, what do you think? What do you think it means? Well, 
we see that there is an affection, there is a Christian love the Apostle has towards these young men like Tychicus, like Timothy and others because they would be carrying on the gospel long after he's gone. And then he says, in the Lord. It's a special phrase, isn't it, that our relationships, our Christian relationships, we call each other brother and sister. It's in the Lord. We love one another in the Lord. That has to condition our relationships. We can't say, I hate my brother in the Lord. doesn't work, does it? If you hate somebody, it's not of the Lord. We're actually even to love our enemies in the Lord because if, if it was in and of ourselves, we wouldn't be able to do it. And let's be honest, some people are harder to love than others, right? But we do it in faith, in the Lord. We also note that the, he describes Tychicus as a faithful servant. It looks like Paul has already made up his mind that this, this fellow, this young fellow, is, is dedicated, he, uh, he likes the quality of his work um, because Paul already by this time he already experienced those who were trained by him and then they walk away not just from Paul but they walk away from the faith altogether one of those names is, is Demas for example and this is heartbreaking for any leader who has any leader who pours out his heart into training others to continue the work both in, in, in their church or abroad or even into the mission field, you want them to continue. There's nothing more discouraging than doing something and then all your work is, is destroyed or, or, or just wrecked. For this reason, the chief virtue of the Christian at work is faithfulness. That is what God values more than anything else. He does not ask us to be popular or brilliant or widely accepted. He doesn't, he doesn't even measure us according to how many followers we have on Facebook or Instagram. He asks us to be faithful, to stick at to continue at whatever task he has called us to do. And faithfulness is what will win high praise at God's throne of grace. They are the ones, those who are faithful, they are the ones who will hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant. Wouldn't you like to hear those words? Antiochus' name appears here and in other books in the most sacred book of all because he had really demonstrated that quality of, of faithfulness. As such, I think he's a wonderful example 
to all of us. And then he says in verse 21 and 22, he gives an update. He says, Tychicus, he will tell you everything so that you may also know how I am and what I am doing. I am sending him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage you. While it's great to receive letters and uh, emails, I suppose, today and faxes, and faxes old dated now, nobody uses faxes anymore. But you know, whatever you put into, into writing, whatever you put there, it, it, it's, it's hard to, to portray the, the feelings and experiences that are difficult to, to convey to the person who's, who's reading. It is actually better for someone to be there who is able to explain and, and walk you through the letter if there are any questions. So here, there's more than just a personal instruction. Here was someone who was spent a lot of time with the writer, the Apostle Paul, and he could clarify, answer questions, and, and also teach the contents because Tychicus was taught by Paul, the letter is sent, and as the letter is read by the church and others, Tychicus is able to explain to them, this is what the Apostle is meaning by that. It's personal instruction. So Paul can rely on him, fully rely on him, not only to deliver the letters, but to also supplement that message with instruction along with personal news. These other days before phones and planes and normally letters would take months to arrive if they ever did at all at their destination. And this church at Ephesus, they they were actually concerned for the Apostle Paul because the Apostle Paul founded the church and now he was in prison. They wanted to know what's happening with him, especially if they're praying for somebody. You want to know what's going on. You're concerned for them. We haven't heard from him for months. Is he okay? This is why three times he reiterates his intention that Tychicus will bring his readers up to date with news of him, personal news. The underlying purpose is that he doesn't want them to be downcast or discouraged because of his situation, but encourage them to keep going as they make their stand to live for Christ in this thoroughly pagan society. The retired uh, newsman, news anchorman, who he worked many years for CBS in the United States, uh, his name was Dan Rather. I don't know if you remember him. He's still alive apparently. He's, he said that once that he was always fascinated by the sport of boxing, even though he was never very good at it. He said, in boxing you're on your own, there's no place to hide. At the end of the match, only one boxer has his hand up. That's it. He has no one to credit or to blame except himself. Rather, 
who, who boxed in, uh, in high school, said his coach's greatest goal was to teach his boxers that they absolutely, positively, without question, had to be get-up fighters. If you're in the ring just once in your life, completely on your own, and you get knocked down, you have to get back up again. It's that never-to-be-forgotten experience. Your sense of achievement, he said, is distinct and unique. And sometimes the only thing making you get up from that mat is someone yelling in the corner, Get up! Get up! Keep going! The Apostle Paul wrote to the Corinthian church and he used the image of a boxer when he said, I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. He said this in 1 Corinthians 9.26. And uh, boxers know that if you throw punches and they land, yes, you do get tired throwing punches, but if they land, you're not as tired as you're simply throwing a punch and missing altogether. That is, not only is it tiring, it's actually discouraging. Exhausting just punching the air. And there's nothing more discouraging in ministry than simply punching the air. You're not landing. You're not seeing it. Not in your lifetime. And, and, and sometimes, sometimes the, the punches you, you throw, you're hoping that in eternity, somewhere, somehow, something has landed. But the seed that you, you're thrown and spread has had some effect somewhere. Interesting, last night uh, we were just commenting that here I, I, was, I was there, I was taking everything from, from the preacher, uh, Mark Niles, and I, was, I, was, I wanted to jump out of my seat, yes, you know, preacher, yes. And yet in front of me there were three or four girls on their smartphones. On their smartphones. Totally disinterested. I said, please, wake up! Why are you doing this? Can't you see what is happening? Here is your coach screaming from the corner because you're in this fight against principalities and powers. You need to get this. Please don't just ignore it. This is life-giving stuff, what has been shared from the front. No. Please, guys. Don't be like that. Young people, don't waste your time on your smartphone. Life goes by so quickly. You're going to wake up one day in a nursing home and you're saying... Gee, I spent all my life on a smartphone. Really? Where did that go? Not very smart, is it? At least the phone's smart, but not you.
As we have seen through this epistle, uh, this epistle of the Apostle Paul, it, it, is, it is a letter written with a purpose to build the church up. It's not just the sweat that has gone into the letters. It's also the blood that covers its pages. It was, it, was, it, was, it was written to establish those Christians, many of whom, most of whom will be martyred, persecuted for the faith. And, and if reading through the letter wasn't enough, he was this faithful disciple named Tychicus who will be screaming the coach's words from the corner of the ring there to these believers in the middle to stand up even though they're knocked down, to stand up and even they've been lit up, covered in tar and lit up like a Christmas tree during Nero's time, they're saying, don't give up, don't give up. You have to keep going. Because our fight is not against flesh and blood, it is against principalities and powers. Put on the armour, lift the sword, keep fighting because we have to stand strong together the good fight in the Lord. And the final blessings, verses 23 and 24. Peace to the brothers and sisters and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with an undying love. And while they're in the, the, in the middle of this spiritual warfare, there is a, a desire, there is a, a prayer for them in these final words where Paul blesses them, he, he prays, blessings on them and he prays that they, they, his listeners, his readers would, would, would have certain things and I'm sure that in the, in the context of the times in which they live, they probably needed a lot of things just like today what would these things might be? Well was it money? Was it leisure? Was it status? Was it justice? Was it freedom? Was it protection? Was it influence? Was it power? No. What he does wish for them is peace, love, faith and grace. But what am I going to do with those? I don't need that. I need to pay my loan. I need to get a job. And yet each of these four things appear over and over again throughout the letter to the Ephesians. Peace is mentioned seven times. Love is mentioned 17 times. Faith is mentioned 10 times and grace is mentioned 11 times. 
These are the things that money cannot buy, right? And yet they are freely given from our Father to his children. And back in chapter 1 we read uh, Ephesians 1, 3. It says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. In fact, Warren Weasby, in his little book on Ephesians, calls it be rich. That's what he means. Not materially rich, but spiritually rich. So what is Ephesians saying to us? We start with peace with God, and this leads to peace with others who have also experienced the same peace. There is no longer a a wall dividing us from God. There is no longer a, a wall dividing us between heaven and earth because God sent his son to bring peace to us. And he has brought people of all different walks of life, from all different walks of life, together into his family to believe and follow the son, irrespective of whether you're a Jew or a Gentile, you're black or white, you're rich or poor, educated or uneducated, he put them all together in the church and this is the family of God. Then we have love. This, of course, was most wonderfully demonstrated by God's love for us in sending his one and only son to die on a cross for our sins. This is radical, revolutionary, challenging love the one that calls us to even love our enemies. So it is a much deeper place than our feelings will ever take us to. It is sacrificial. It is grounded in the very core of our faith. And this faith was given to us in love. Did you know that? That's the way it's expressed here. A faith that is also a gift of God given to those who have been chosen before the creation of the world. Even faith is a gift. And without this saving faith, it is impossible to please God. It is a faith by which we are to live righteously in the world. Before our maker, the righteous will live by faith. And it is by grace that we have been saved. Amazing, stupendous, wonderful, marvellous grace. Beyond our understanding how this is all worked out, receive it. Through grace we go from death to life. We receive spiritual blessings here on earth. And we have this wonderful inheritance in the heavenly realms. There. But you know what? We can actually start enjoying those blessings now. We don't have to wait to heaven to receive them. We can receive them now. It has to impact our lives here and now. That's the purpose. 
a grace that is not just contained here in me, like Warragamba Dam that contains all the water, it actually has to be released because it overflows. It has to overflow so that others will also have peace with God. Imagine if the Apostle Paul done all these things and he just said, no, I'm saved. Thank you, Lord. You know, and the the life of the Apostle Paul just finished in Acts chapter 9 when he was converted. Imagine that, right? He would have contained all that blessing and salvation. No, he had to go out. He had to share it and train and call and, and... and encourage and persevere until God said, that's enough, you're coming home. Some of you here are closer to home than you probably want to admit. And some of us, quite young, would think, oh, we've got plenty of time, I'm not going home yet. Well, that's the normal way to think, right? But really, we don't know. None of us know. All it takes is a scan, and a doctor, next friend say, wow. He has to tell you the truth, right? Well, I'm telling you the truth now. Unless you're in a relationship with Jesus Christ, you're going to hell. Don't muck around. I'm not mucking around with this. I'm telling you the truth because I don't want you to go there. Choose life. Choose heaven. Choose Christ. And I'd like to issue a challenge for all of us, me included, that uh, I'm sure most of us here have a desire deep in our hearts also to see an improvement in our Christian walk. I'm sure we've all been challenged as we listen to Ephesians the past few weeks or months. And please don't just let this information be theological or doctrinal sort of sitting in your head. Live by it. Treasure it in your heart and let it turn into actions in the way you live your life. Let's work on those things that bring joy to our Lord. To be more conformed to the image of the Son. Remember, Ephesians 5.1, our aim is to be imitators of God, imitators of God as dearly beloved children. And perhaps there are some here who don't yet have a personal relationship with God. This means that you don't have peace with God. I want to ask you to consider the claims of the gospel that Jesus died for your sins. You need to believe that in faith and you need to trust Jesus as your Lord and Saviour. You need to repent. That means you need to be sorry for the things you've done and the way you've lived your life apart from, from God. And with God's help, accept the forgiveness that he gives to follow him to do what he says. If that's you, 
I'd like you to come and talk to me after the service. Don't just let it pass by. Don't delay the decision. Too much is at stake. Finally, down through the centuries, this letter, along with others that the Apostle wrote, uh, have transformed not just individual lives, but whole communities and civilizations as well. I know it doesn't seem like it, but the whole of Western civilization has been built on the truths contained in the scriptures. Anything else you see out there has been borrowed and stolen by humanists and others because the world and the time in which this was done, it was very different to what we have now. This is why it's such a tremendously important document for, for us to just study it a little bit deeper. Yet it is also important for us to remember the cost of having these scriptures delivered into our hands. First, the living word came down from heaven to save us and then the living word, Jesus Christ our Lord, called the Apostle Paul to go in his name. Then the Apostle Paul, the ambassador for the King of Kings, found himself in chains along with others for preaching the gospel. Let us give thanks for this apostle who kept the Lord always at the centre of his thoughts. Let us give thanks for the men like Tychicus who faithfully transported Paul's letters, the scrolls, to the churches. Let's give thanks for those who, once they received it, they faithfully preserved it and protected it from destruction but shared it with the neighbours and friends. Give thanks for the for those who faithfully copied the true text over the last 1500 years. There was no photocopiers had to be done by hand and guarded. Give thanks for the millions who have been saved through these sacred scrolls. And may these words continue to be used as the sword of the Spirit, calling people to repentance and salvation until the day when heaven itself is rolled up like a scroll. May those of us who have it in our hands not take it for granted, but but treasure these words as the inspired living word of God given to us by the living God. And may God bless us. Amen. Please stand. Um, we're going to sing our last song for today. The hymn, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing.